1: What's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again by my co-host and good friend, Chris Weber-Schwebzee. How's it going tonight? Hi, friends. Uh, we just got finished—well, I
0: just got finished watching Sunday Night Baseball, and Ooh, Reese Hoskins hit a three-run home run to tie the game in the ninth, and it got called back for bouncing off of the pole at the top of the wall. And uh, sorry to Reese Hoskins' owners, but also suck it Philly fans.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a big relief for you, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it so reasonably so that game being on as the Sunday night game, running into our podcast prep time made for some very very entertaining segues in the midst of us trying to do the twitch stream which we are doing right now by the way we do a twitch stream every single sunday night when we're prepping for and recording the episodes you can always kind of get a little head start on what we're going to release on mondays uh but seeing your reactions in real time as the game was happening was (laughs) chef's kiss beautiful
0: uh, nick pollock who is my boss and ostensibly should be nice to me
1: absolutely eviscerated me on twitter today which was fun also, just real quick, I just want to give a shout out. Pi is in chat right now and says, hello. Hi, Pi. Thank you for joining us. Um, but yeah, Nick uh, kind of ruined the game for you because he was like, what, like a minute ahead? <laughs> I
0: was being spoiled so much.
1: <laughs> kind of takes a little bit of the enjoyment out of it. Thanks, Nick. Really appreciate that. Unbelievable. But uh, at least you didn't have to suffer through the exasperation of finding out if uh, Jerry's Familia was going to get that final out. Um
0: yeah it's funny because i was spoiled and i still there was still a thought in the back of my mind like he could still blow this like technically they they already won in real life but he could still blow this
1: is that just oh god that's just conditioning at this point being a mets fan uh, I yeah, feel like. yeah that's no, kind of rough
0: it's learned behavior it's like a Pavlovian uh <sighs> instinct to just assume that they're going to blow it somehow
1: i'm sorry buddy <laughs> That stinks. Thanks, Mets. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm just gonna do this real quick. I gotta I forgot to open up my drink before we started the podcast, so I'm just gonna and by forget I mean I intentionally waited to do this. Oh, yes.
0: Welcome oh, to beautiful. the ASMR in the deep podcast.
1: Welcome to the ASMR in the deep podcast. Now listen listen to me take a big old swig of this soda. You can
0: tell, you can, oh God, that's gross. Uh, (laughs) You can tell that we've already been uh, streaming and prepping for three plus hours because the chaotic energy is out of control already.
1: Ow. (laughs) I'm dying. I'm dying a little bit. That was so dumb. Why did I do that? On to the
0: news.
1: (laughs) I've been snake bitten. Anyways, uh, news. Speaking of people getting hurt uh, after trying to do something cool. Alejandro Kirk hit two home runs in a game this past weekend and then celebrated by immediately getting hurt afterwards. Uh, he's having an issue with his hip flexor. I think his left hip flexor that he uh hurt while taking a swing. So super duper disappointing. Uh Schwebs, how do we feel about yeah. Alejandro cool. Kirk getting hurt? We're both fans of our, our rotund, incredibly incredibly powerful boy. Yeah, we we
0: love our we love our stout boys hitting balls long ways. Uh, it's a shame he's, you know, anytime you have a catcher that hits, it's, uh, exciting in fantasy. So we wish Alejandro Kirk a swift recovery so that he can come back and be productive uh, as, you know, most teams, I I would assume second catchers.
1: Yes. Uh, and so kind of like the roster situation that that creates is that since Kirk is hurt, Uh, Danny Jansen will now be getting more reps again. Something that we covered quite a bit in the preseason. We were talking about catchers that might be breakouts. Obviously that did not happen whatsoever. He's been absolutely abysmal so far early this season. Obviously we hope that he can perform, uh, in Kirk's stead. Uh, they also have some other options that they can bring up, but I fully expect that Danny Jansen will be getting the lion's share of the time until Kirk can come back. It shouldn't be too long. I wouldn't think, but we will find out. Um, Other people getting hurt as well. A lot of this news that we have at the beginning is pretty much just injury news, which is really disappointing. Kind of a bummer to start the show. We'll hopefully end it on a better note. Uh, So one that hurts me personally on a deep level is Omar Narvaez got hurt as well. Um, But the good news with that is that Jacob Nottingham was bought back with cash from the Seattle Mariners after they claimed him. Uh, What a whirlwind for Nottingham over the past like four or five days, it seems like, where he was – Designated for assignment by the Brewers, then picked up by the Mariners because of that DFA and then bought back immediately because they needed another catcher again uh, by the Brewers. I mean, Uh, and then immediately hit two home runs today against the Dodgers. So talk about a a crazy weekend that he had. So it sounded to
0: me like you were giving a diagnosis for uh, Omar Narvaez when you were like, Omar Narvaez got hurt, but like you know, like a
1: glute strain or something like he's he's out with a butt he's out with a butt yes exactly actually i can't remember what exactly his injury was uh narvaez we'll uh correctly. hamstring i believe yes it was a hamstring you're right that is correct he did,
0: he pulled it uh running to first that's that's my fault because i like to write incomplete notes into
1: our notes no it's okay it's like that's Omar right. narvaez is hurt it doesn't matter with what I mean, most of our th- I would I would argue that most of our thoughts are incomplete. In aren't aren't cases we? All, anyways, aren't we all hurting? <laughs> We're all hurting deep down. Some of us in our butts. Some of us. I, I don't know why I said that, but that's fine. Uh, in
0: gross injury news.
1: Oh God! Actually, yes. Technically, kind of in gross injury news. Uh, Cole Calhoun kind of having a really unlucky first couple months of the season. Obviously, he was out for a little while with the knee issue, and now. He has to have part of his hamstring removed, which really, really stinks. Um, so, take this one a little bit, Schwebz, and time yeah. kind of talk about the implications here? Well, yeah, so
0: supposedly this is like a thing that football players go through a lot. The timeline is, is about two months. Uh, it's like a part of the hamstring that you don't really need, but uh, there is a bit of a recovery time. So we're looking at two months, and in those two months, we are looking at vastly increased playing time for both Josh Rojas and Dalton Varsho and uh you probably remember Dalton Varsho from fantasy draft season when someone drafted him way too early uh and the reason for that is that he's catcher eligible and he might steal bases so uh that is uh always a desirable thing uh looking at you isaiah kiner falefa although falafa has been awesome this year he's been excellent. uh yeah but uh varsho is that kind of guy like he, he was overvalued, I think, just because, you know, he's got some speed and he's catcher eligible. Uh, Rojas, we're going to talk about later because uh, I find him much more interesting. But uh, yeah, those are are the main beneficiaries.
1: Yeah, I was definitely a big fan of Varsho, both in draft season and like last year too, even. I thought that because he was getting a bunch of playing time. Also, I I just generally like between like him and also like Danny Jansen in a way, I have a soft spot for people who have Wisconsin connections because Varsho actually went to school in Milwaukee. He went to UWM. So something that I was pulling for in terms of success. Um, in his first little taste back up here, he's had a few pinch hit appearances and then one start and he's, I think two for six with two doubles. So not like bad. It's a very small sample size and I don't think we should draw anything from it quite yet, but something to monitor as time goes on. The situation is going to be fluid. We have quite a bit of time to figure out what's going to go on. Like Schweb said, this is an injury that really hasn't been seen that much in ballplayers. Um, more common in football, so the timetable for recovery is going to be a little bit different and also kind of fluid, so something that you should monitor as it develops both the playing time situation between Josh Rojas and Dalton Varsho and whenever Cole Calhoun will eventually return. Um, The last injury little piece of news that we're going to talk about here is Dustin May, who on a start on Saturday felt a shooting pain go up through his arm, and then he was instantly pulled from the game. This is another blow to an already pretty depleted Dodgers pitching staff. And now they don't really look quite so foolish for having so many guys uh, that can be starting pitchers in that organization. I mean, it's good that they have someone like Tony Gonsolin that can come back up and then hopefully fill that gap that was left by not just Dustin May getting hurt, but also David Price, who is going to be like a bulk reliever type person. Um, Shrubzy, should we be targeting
0: Gonsolin? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's, so he's not eligible in some leagues yet because he hasn't thrown a major league inning, Mm -hmm. but if he's there now, grab him. Uh, if he's not there now, grab him as soon as you're able to, because Gonsolin is like, in my eyes, an easy top 50 starter in all of baseball. The only reason that he's not, you know, doing that right now is because the Dodgers are so stupidly deep. So yeah, grab Gonsolin if at all possible. And, uh, it, might be too late with the may injury news but trade for him if you can like really just i i love tony gonsolin and you should be doing everything in your power to acquire him
1: yeah and that was like the big argument too early in like draft season is was gonsolin gonna beat out may for that fifth spot um i personally i I know myself and some others definitely thought that he should have gotten a chance before dustin may did especially i mean dustin may's stuff Seems like it should play up really well considering the velocity and like the movement that he has, especially on that uh, two or that sinker that he has that is super gifable and we've seen so much of it at this point. But Gonsolin was much more effective last year, so I was surprised to see him not get the nod. Um, but hopefully, this clears the way. And then, hey, maybe if he can perform at a high level during this uh, interim period while Dustin May is out, he can solidify a spot for himself and hopefully stick with uh, the Dodgers moving forward.
0: Dodgers executives just really, really like pitching ninja gifts, so they wanted May in there to, uh, you know, satisfy their, their doom scrolling late at night.
1: It's all about L.A. It's about that showbiz, baby. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this entire thing. Yes, I said meat and potatoes. I was expecting Schwebs to call me out for being vegan and saying meat and potatoes there. Yeah, I uh, don't even like meat. Yeah, it's fine. Anyways, uh, so we're going to talk about someone that is... Uh, um unfortunately going to be graduating from the list that we can talk about. It's going to be sad to see him go, but I'm so damn proud of this boy. Nico Horner, let's go. Uh, Nico has been so, so wonderful this past week. Schwebzy, you did the write-up on Nico, unfortunately, so I can't wax poetic about how much I love him. I'm going to let you cover him here. Why do we need to go chase after Nico right this second?
0: I mean, I love when you wax, and I don't want to prevent you from doing that.
1: But uh, can you so- just take a cut out of you saying <laughs> "I love when you wax" and just like out of context post that somewhere, like maybe on our social media profile? I, I will. I will consider that. But
0: uh, so yeah, like you said, this is going to be the last time we get to talk about Nico on this podcast unless we cheat because he's going to pass the roster, the twenty percent owned roster <laughs> threshold. Excuse me very sad for us but uh, so far on the young year uh, our large adult son has a 500 obp he has played 11 games so it's a small sample size but 500 obp is a 500 obp that's really good no matter the sample size uh after 11 games he has an 18.2 walk percentage and while that is helping him get there to that 500 obp he's also really stinging the ball It's an unsustainable BABIP, yes, but he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting it all over the field, spraying it everywhere. He's got six doubles in 11 games, and uh, those doubles are to left field, to right field. Uh, There's been a mix of ropes down the line to deep fly balls, which kind of hints at the power we saw a little bit of in spring training. and. That's what we're, we're, we, so he's really good as is because he's running a lot and we love a guy who can get on base and run. That's really valuable in fantasy, but if he can also, you know, pull a ball over the fence every now and then that makes him from a good fantasy player into a potential star. Like I'm, you know, I'm probably getting ahead of myself by even suggesting that, but you know, I, I love the profile. Uh, I love that he's getting on base. I love that he's running in the opportunities he gets. He's already got four stolen base attempts in uh, th- these 11 games. So I'm, I'm loving the profile. I'm, I'm loving what I've seen so far. And now all that's left is for
1: the Cubs to move him up in the batting order. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked to uh, to Unforgettable Fire, which is one of the people that we have in Twitch chat here tonight. Thank you, uh, Unfug, for giving us this feedback too. It's like there's like, – like Unfug said, there's not a lot – of places that you can move Horner up in the lineup except for first, because obviously you have like, you have Javi Baez up there. You're going to have Rizzo. You're going to have Chris Bryant. All these guys are, I think trending upwards, especially like Chris Bryant is absolutely scalding the ball too. He's finally back, which has been really, really good to see. I mean, not so much for me as a Brewer fan, but, uh, The only place for him to move up is first in that lineup. And a lot of people thought that Ian Happ would be taking that spot. And I'm not saying that this is a good thing this happened because it was a really, really scary play today. As someone who has had many a concussion, myself and TBIs, it's very scary. There was a collision between Horner and Ian Happ today that is probably going to keep, I would assume, keep Happ out for at least a few games until he can get his bell unrung. It does create an opportunity for Horner. And I think he probably gets pushed up to that one spot while Happ is out. but I think that if Nico continues to make himself known as this very steady guy who's going to be able to work pitchers and get eight to ten pitch at bats, he's going to earn that first spot in the lineup. And hitting right in front of both Rizzo and Chris Bryant is a prime spot to be. So, I, I mean, I genuinely think that Nico Horner might end up being like a, like a sixth or seventh round pick in drafts next year in like 12-team redraft leagues if he can perform to his potential. Like
0: Nico could be better than what we thought Andres Jimenez's ceiling was.
1: And I think that, I mean, for me, I don't think it was any question that Horner's ceiling was higher than Jimenez's. And especially like like you mentioned before, that stance change has unlocked a ton of power and allowed him to use his athleticism. And he's spraying the ball all over the place, making good hard contact. Like, There's just so much to like here. And like you said, he has four steal attempts. And I think he successfully stole three bases so far. Yes. And he's got like a 93rd percentile sprint speed. So he is fast. He has been fast. He just didn't really get on base enough previously to take advantage of it. And now that he's getting on base at a really, really good clip, we can see where that ceiling is. And it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like he's
0: walked more than he struck out so far, which... I love. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know I love a good plate approach, good plate discipline, and he appears to have that.
1: As uh, one Ellen Adair might say, ladies love plate discipline, and Nico Horner is showing that in spades right now. Super exciting, so hopefully you can keep that up. Uh, Moving on to another person that is going to graduate from the list quickly, we're going to talk about Tyler O'Neal real quick from the Cardinals. Uh, Schwebs, tell us a little bit about Tyler O'Neal. He's seen some more Opportunity now. It feels like we've been waiting a few years for him to get an opportunity in that outfield consistently. What do we think of him? So, you know, the things that I was just saying about
0: good plate discipline and how I love it? Well, I hate Tyler O'Neill's plate approach and his plate discipline. It's very bad, but uh, he's making it work. So, this is another player who will very likely graduate from this list quickly. So, you know, snatch him up now if you can. He's uh, at 19% ownership between ESPN and Yahoo. So what you're getting out of Tyler O'Neill is dingers, steals, strikeouts. That's, that's pretty much it. And that's what you're going to get out of him pretty much no matter what. And, but right now we're seeing a level of production from him that we've never seen before where on top of the home runs, he's also just scouting the ball so frequently that it literally does not matter that he's striking out like 30s, high 30s. I, I don't have the number in front of me because I'm uh, bad at taking notes um but yeah he's among the fastest players in baseball he's got he's even chipped in a couple steals he's amongst the strongest players in baseball uh i'm incredibly not a fan of players with plate discipline like this but like so we're, we're seeing it uh, in another NL Central player, in Javi Baez. One of the ways that you can still be productive with this approach is to make the most of the limited opportunities that you're providing yourself by just hitting the absolute heck out of the ball when you do hit it. And we're seeing that with O'Neal as he's fifth in the league in ex-Wobacon or ex-Wobacon, uh, depending on how you like it, uh, which is uh, your, basically your expected production when you make contact. And O'Neill's ex-Wobicon is at an insane 617. So it's, he's making it work.
1: Yeah, it's an absurd number. Um, He's been pretty, yeah, he's been pretty excellent lately. I'm just glad that he finally got an opportunity. I know there's a lot of Cardinals fans in general. Like for me, I was super happy to see him not get consistent playing time because I've seen like what he is able to do. And yeah, that absolutely absurd Wobicon is, or ex-Wobicon is, uh, something to behold uh i also don't see justin williams starting ahead of him a ton
0: or austin dean
1: yeah they're they're not really going to be pushing him for playing time that much maybe i mean if you want to go with like platoon splits potentially but he's going to get the lion's share of the opportunities there and it's pretty exciting because like obviously if you are in a deeper league and you find yourself like in a roto league where you're behind power-wise or behind in steals, and you can find someone like this who's super low own, like low uh, roster number, then absolutely you're going to take that help whenever you can. We're kind of at that point where we can see where our teams are falling short and it's good to target those people that can hopefully prop us up in those areas where we're weak. So Tyler O'Neill, a really good person that you can roster that can help you out there. Uh, following up on that, let's t- go to Brandon Belt, someone that we've talked about a few different times already. Uh, Schwebzi. What's he looked like so far this year? Has it been about where we expected? A little bit underwhelming, overwhelming. Where are we at with uh, Belt so far? So
0: we're going to talk about Brandon Belt a little bit. And I like the way that we've set this up because I got to talk about Nico Horner, which left a great taste in my mouth, which is very poor phrasing. And then we got to talk about Tyler O'Neill, whose plate approach I hate. And now we get to go back to Brandon Belt as a palate cleanser, who now has great plate discipline again. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm, you know, just... Get rid of that awful, awful plate approach. Uh, so, Brandon Belt, we went deep on him in our position preview, and pretty much what we said there still applies. He hits the ball hard, he walks an absolute ton. Like, if you're in an OBP league, he's a must own. Uh, the one concerning thing here so, w- one of the things that we mentioned in that position preview was that he was, when the ball was in the zone, he was making contact with it at oh, like elite rates and better than ever for him. This year, that has regressed and it's regressed to the point where he's making contact in the zone less than ever. He's striking out at almost 33% uh, 33 rate, which is way more than he usually strikes out. I don't really expect this to continue. This feels like one of those small sample size blips because it's just so out of line with everything else he's done in his career. I want to chalk it up to just a normal you know, bad luck stretch. It just happens over the course of a season. I'm hoping for a pretty quick bounce back. Um, something that we were looking at today, uh, and we've talked about this before, is that Oracle Park, uh, or you know, AT and T Park. If you're clinging to old things like I am, they uh, it plays really well for left-handed power. And since the start of 2000, uh, it's it's really hard looking at park factors. Uh, in San Francisco, because of the, the the gate situation, whether it's open or closed, and how that impacts how the ball flies. But in the time frame that we know the gate has been open, it has played really well for left hand hitters hitting home runs. So that's good for Brandon Belt. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that he gets back to making more contact in the zone, and if so, I think we could see a really really hot stretch from Brandon Belt.
1: For sure. And like, that's the thing that you noted before is with that K rate, especially I really do believe that we're going to see some positive regression with that. Like historically, the highest K rate that he ever had was 27.2%. That was back in 2014 and he was walking much less back then too. And his play discipline has improved a ton over that time. I mean, we look back to last year, he was a 20.1% K rate. The year before that 20.6. So this is not in character for him. I fully expect that we're going to see some positive change in that K rate and it should hopefully lead to some better outcomes yeah, for him. It's
0: like, it's an increase of over 50%, which is an yeah. insane jump.
1: Yeah. We're going to call that not sustainable for him. I think that's going to change pretty quickly here. And weirdly enough, I actually looked at his splits earlier and we always touted him as like, obviously if you have a righty on the mound, you should be starting Brandon belt. Cause we're kind of working the splits with these giants hitters. Same thing from the other side. We said to target like Austin Slater and, uh, Evan Longoria if lefties are on the mound. And then we said, if righties are on the mound, target Brandon belt, his splits this year so far have actually been reversed in terms of like average, but all of his home runs so far have come off of right-handed pitching. So something to keep an eye on. Obviously I think he's just had quite a bit of bad luck and he will start running into more balls as time goes on. Uh, moving on to someone else also in the NL West talk about Josh Rojas real quick. Schwebs. Uh, we obviously want Josh Rojas to succeed very badly.
0: Yeah. So Josh Rojas is an Alex Chamberlain favorite. And we love Alex Chamberlain for, uh, you know, all, the pitch leaderboard is an invaluable tool. And he's just a good dude. <sighs> yes. Really, really does does a fantastic uh, shirtless presentation for PitchCon. Like. <laughs> And just a nice guy. So just for his sake, we really want to see Josh Rojas succeed because uh, Chamberlain is the president of the Josh Rojas fan club. But uh, like we mentioned earlier, Cole Calhoun's going to be out for a while and Josh Rojas is one of the main beneficiaries of that those vacated plate appearances. Uh, uh, with the other beneficiary being Dalton Varsho. And of the two, uh, as I mentioned, I'm much more of a believer in Rojas's skills. Although you should not ignore uh, Varsho's catcher eligibility. Uh, I, I think Rojas, since he already had a starting role at the start of the season and he has more flexibility with uh, where he can play on the field, I think he has more of an opportunity to get more plate appearances than Varsho. And on top of the opportunity, he's been wildly productive lately. In the last, uh, in the last nine games, he has three home runs and three doubles with nine runs Nine RBIs and a stolen base. He is playing like he's playing really well. Like he was a monster in spring training and opened a lot of eyes. He became he became kind of a draft sleeper, and then started off really slowly. But his season line is climbing. He's looking better and better by the day. He had three home runs in three days, uh, ending uh, yesterday. So. You know, yeah, I'm I'm really big on Josh Rojas right now, and and uh, you know, wh- where I ha- where I can afford to pick him up, like on my bench or you know, in a middle infield spot, I'm grabbing him because his eligibility is awesome. It's outfield, second base, shortstop.
1: Yeah, super good. Uh, and that's the thing too is like when you look at potential reasons that Rojas would get more playing time. Yes, he's eligible in more places. Two, it's not like they can do a platoon split between Varsho and Rojas because they're both lefties. So it's not like one's going to get playing time more than the other, and they're both strong side guys. And I, I, I agree that I think that Rojas is going to see m- many more opportunities than Varsho is at least for the time being. Uh, it's a good call. And I'm really surprised at his seven percent ownership number. I thought that I mean, I'm not, I wasn't expecting it to be like fifty or sixty or anything like that, but I was expecting it to be a bit higher, like somewhere in the twenties. Uh, he
0: started off real bad. That's true. Real bad. I, I think
1: that his ownership numbers were much higher to begin the year because a lot of people were kind of hyping him up. And then he slumped and started falling off rosters. So I think that's why we find him back in this area where we can speak on him again. Uh, gosh, we're spending a lot of time in the NL West. The next guy that we're going to talk about, too, is someone that's new to the NL West. Mike Talkman, getting traded by the New York Yankees uh, and made his debut this past Wednesday, April 28th. Uh, with the Giants. So far in the games that he has played, he's 5-for-16, including today, which is Sunday, the day that we're recording this. He went 1-for-4 with a three-run homer and four total RBI on the game. Uh, really weird to me is that the New York Yankees traded Talkman, considering how badly folks like Aaron Hicks and Brett Gardner have looked so far. They don't really have a lot of great left-handed bats. That was brought up by Callan Elslogger in the Twitch chat. Appreciate that point, Callen. That was something that I did not think about when I initially started doing research on Talkman. Uh, But again, he's a lefty. And that means a strong side platoon bat. And so far, he's been seeing a ton of times. So I feel like he's probably worthy of a pickup in a lot of your like 15-plus team mixed leagues. Um, he might still be a wait-and-see type guy because he doesn't have a ton of power-up side necessarily. Uh, but... The fact that he's going to get as much playing time as he probably will will mean that he will accumulate those stats. So, like Schwebbs said, Oracle Park actually has played up pretty well for lefties, so he might be able to produce more power there, which is surprising than in or than he did in Yankee Stadium. I don't know. Schwebbs, do you have anything to say about Talkman? I I find him very
0: interesting because... So he came over to the Yankees. They picked him up from the Rockies. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, another squandered Rockies player and watch yep. him blow up for the Yankees. And then he went out and hit 13 home runs with six uh, stolen bases for the Yankees in
1: 2019. It is worth noting there when you say that, too, is that with the power numbers, that was the super bounce ball of yes. 2019 yes. as well. And the short porch in right field in Yankee Stadium. So that might have been, so take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, I do agree. He did perform above expectations. Yeah. So that was 2019. And I mean, it was, it was half
0: a year. It was 87 games, but he, he accompanied those numbers I mentioned with 46 runs, 47 RBIs with a 277 batting average with capable defense in the outfield. So this was an all round, like start, like he was a star when he played in 2019 yeah. straight up. And then 2020 rolled around, he hit zero home runs, uh, played two thirds of their games, but stole six bases in a, a, a third of the games. So he was basically a completely different kind of player. I so I don't really know what to make of Talkman at this point. Like he's he's kind of he's been pretty inconsistent from year to year, but the home run that he hit today was his first since 2019, and that's encouraging. He's always had good plate discipline, so uh, you know he's put up double digit walk rates every year he's been in the league, regardless of how many plate appearances. Uh, I'm I'm I I so. Of all the teams he could have went to, like as far as his fantasy prospects, I feel like the Giants are one of the worst. Because when you think of outfield Bog jams, the Giants yeah. are one of the teams you think of.
1: But if they're committed to giving him plate appearances, I really like him there. Yeah, the fact that he's a left-handed bat helps out a lot. Obviously, there's plenty of right-handed bats to go around in San Francisco. So if he'd be if he had been batting from the other side, it would have been pretty rough. But I think that he is going to get a pretty solid amount of playing time still. And I don't know. So far, so good. I mean, keep an eye on him. I'm probably not chasing him super duper hard right away. Uh, he's still only 2% owned in most leagues. So he is still out there and he is still available. So you might have time to wait on him. But if he continues on a similar pace as to what he is right now, then it's not going to be like that for very long. So just keep close eye on Talkman. Someone that I think Schwebz and I are fairly keen on right now. Uh, I I got him in TGFBI. Yeah. I also got him in TGFBI. He was my backup uh, bid for McClanahan, actually. And I got him for like 23 bucks or something like yeah, that, which so might have been a little bit too much. I don't know.
0: We, we are practicing what we preach. We are we are high on Talkman, and, uh, yeah, are, are both fresh owners of him in TGFBI.
1: We're actually getting the guy's... That we're telling you all to keep an eye on, which is good. Yeah. We, gotta, we I mean, have to, if we have to practice what we preach; otherwise, we look like frauds, right?
0: I, I want everyone to know that if we're wrong on a pick, we're suffering. Mm. We, it's not, you know. So, yeah, if you listen to us and you pick up someone on our recommendation, you can take solace in the fact that if they're if they're killing your team, they're also killing our teams.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think that's it for hitters. Let's move on to some pitchers. So. We're going to talk about some people here that have been emerging a bit. We got a couple of Rays here. Uh, We got a couple of throwback classics, including Jacob Junis and Aaron Sanchez. But first, let's start with Luis Patino. Uh, So he opened for his first appearance on the 25th and then followed Shane McClanahan in his awesome start on the 29th. Combined between those two starts... He went 4.2 innings with one hit between the two appearances, no earned runs, one walk, five K's, and about a 23% CSW between the two start or the two appearances. Um while this is a pretty small sample and may not be super indicative of his long-term success. I kind of like what I saw from him so far. He did a really, really good job elevating his fastball and then locating the slider. On his glove side, down and in to lefties and down and away from righties. Uh, really, really consistent spots with that. Uh, the K numbers are about a K per nine-ish, right around there. And that's about what we expected from him, about nine to ten Ks per nine. It's not an elite number, but it's definitely still a very solid number. And I don't know, looking at his heat maps, they've looked really, really good so far. Like I said, really, really good location on both that fastball and that slider. V- Velo is a bit down this year compared to last year. On that fastball, but that's totally fine, it's still doing its job. Um, as far as the playing time goes, though, that is the one big concern because a lot of people see a future for Patino as a starter, but right now, like he's only thrown about 29.2 innings from the beginning of 2019 till today. Uh, I don't think we're going to see him pitch a typical starters workload for quite some time. I think he's going to need some time to build into it. So for the early part of the season, at least and maybe all the way into next year, we're probably going to be waiting on him to reach that five, six innings pitched, uh, threshold where you're going to be able to nap some quality starts. If you're in a league that cares about those, but he's looked really, really clean so far. shown a really solid command. And then if you want a guy that's maybe going to steal a win here or there by following someone like McClanahan, uh, in maybe like an AL only league while accumulating a reasonable amount of volume, he's probably a pretty good play. So I would keep an eye on his pitch counts. And then, I mean, Hey, maybe I'm wrong completely about him and he's going to end up building into a full starters workload by the end of the year. And it's just a cherry on top, but yeah, I don't know. I liked what I saw from Patino.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I'd expect that full starter's workload given that he's 21, and you mentioned what his workload was like last year. Yeah, I mean he he only threw 95 innings in 2019 before throwing you know 17 in the majors in 2020. So, the I, I'm I'm encouraged by the actual on-field production because last year for San Diego. He walked like the world when he was yes. pitching. Yes, and he did. This year, he's all the way down to a uh, percentage because uh, we we want we want to quote percentages. We don't want to quote per nines. Six point three percent walk rate, which is nice, and he's at a twenty five percent K minus walk percentage, which is awesome. Um, you know, again, very small sample size. Always that caveat. But he looks great so far. So uh, the the Rays are notorious for having their openers and followers. Uh, you may remember Ryan Yarbrough a couple years ago being like a really really valuable pitcher in fantasy, uh, fa- uh, falling into that follower role. So maybe we could see something like that from Patino. Maybe, hopefully, uh, I, I expect a much different production than Yarbrough, but maybe we can get the same kind of a win production there.
1: Yeah. Hopefully they can make a lightning strike twice there. that'd be a really, really good value for a lot of owners out there. Uh, Patino is someone that I am unfortunately not in the position to acquire in a lot of leagues because people are pretty keen on him. But again, if you're in like a basic, like 12, 15 team league, he's not super highly owned. He's only about 10% owned between ESPN and Yahoo. So he's probably still out there for you if you want to take a flyer on him. And I would recommend doing that now. Uh, especially if you just have that, that open uh, flex pitcher spot that you can throw him into. It'd be pretty great. Uh, moving on, let's talk about Adbert Elzali for the Cubs. Uh, Schwebs, you wrote this one up. Tell us a little bit about him. I know that we kind of had some comparisons between him and Huascarinoa Noah a little bit, and you kind of found some discrepancies there. What did you find in looking a little bit more in depth at Elzali?
0: Yeah. So uh, actually when, when we were researching and writing up Azalea in uh, the stream earlier, we had uh, Nick Pollock in the chat kind of uh, assisting, like giving us his thoughts on Azalea and comparing the two and whatnot. And uh, it's always great to pick Nick's brain, but like, so we, I came into this kind of thinking that Ausley with this was this really high upside arm, really great strikeout arm, but I've got to say that after doing the work, I'm not really a huge fan. His slider is absolutely filthy, undeniable, yes. which which is what made me think of Wascar because uh, I'm I'm thinking okay, they're both two-pitch pitchers, high strikeout upside, but looking at Ausley like he doesn't seem to like uh, looking at his heat maps. I don't think he ever knows where the ball is going on any pitch, really. Like he's he throws a lot of four seamers right down the middle. Uh, his sinker, which is his second most prominent pitch, gets absolutely annihilated. Even when he does seem to throw it where he wants to, the slider is undeniable. His slider looks like it's straight up one of the best pitches in baseball. Uh, it gets a forty point five with percentage, which is. Awesome! It accounts for the That's large absurd. majority of his strikeouts. Yeah, yeah, the slider is amazing. Uh, yeah. So while while Wascari Noah is straight up a two pitch pitcher, and he comes in with like a high, like a, a, a placed high in the zone, ninety seven mile an hour fastball. Uh, that that second pitch is actually good, whereas Ausle has not been able to find uh, consistent production out of his second pitch. So he's more of a one pitch pitcher at this point, sadly. So his he can still be a high K upside arm in any given week, but it's gonna like he's really matchup dependent. I think like this week he's playing the Dodgers. I am absolutely not using him this week. But in his last two starts, he got to face a depleted Atlanta team and Milwaukee. Sorry, Jordan, and he threw the slider fifty four percent of the time in those two starts. Fifty four percent of the time. And he struck out 13 in 10.2 combined innings while only allowing nine base runners. That's great. That's really great production. So if there's teams that are overwhelmed by his slider, he is going to lean on it and he can come out with some really great starts. So like I said, this week, that's a hard no for me on the Dodgers. But the week after that, the start after that, he gets to see Cleveland and he'll be facing Shane Bieber, which is not good for his, uh, you know, win prospects, but he should put up a pretty good line against what is the sixth lowest scoring team in baseball at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'm more than happy to take a flyer here. And obviously it's 7% ownership. He's going to be out there for you if you want to snag him for a streaming start in pretty much every league. So that's definitely a good call out. I definitely, yeah, I would agree with you that I definitely want Huascari Noah more so than Alzalai Because again, you said Alzalai doesn't know where his slider is going. And hey, you know what, maybe it's just like why none of the hitters that he throws it to know knows where it's going either. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, definitely would rather have Inoa there, but streaming starts for all is a lie. Definitely play him against Cleveland. That'd be a great start to have him for. Uh, Let's take a pivot back to the Rays quick here, moving on to Shane McClanahan. Unfortunately, we were not able to get a gift breakdown of McClanahan's first start because overlord Nick Pollock, got his second COVID shot and he was kind of under the weather a little bit, kind of taking care of himself there. Understandably. So
0: way to be responsible and care about your fellow humans. Nick. Yeah.
1: Nick way to be like practicing self care. You loser. <laughs> God. Anyways, but he put it really well. Cause he did still write about McClanahan that night in his, uh, SP roundup, which was titled after McClanahan, uh, Calling it glorious, which I think was a really, really good way to put it. Uh, McClanahan's final line in that game was four innings pitched with two earned runs, five hits, no walks, and five Ks. And the best part of this whole thing was that he had 15 whiffs on 59 pitches. It's 25% whiff percentage. That is fantastic.
0: It's obscene
1: yeah in in the uh start his fastball touched 100 and i think it was i have 101 here but i think it was 100.5 uh the slider was 93 and then he also peppered in a changeup that was around 90 and then an 83 mile per hour curveball he, he's basically just going to be a two-pitch pitcher with that fastball on that slider that's going to be the, the meat of what he throws and they are very very sweet pitches uh One small downside is that they did limit him to 59 pitches. Again, this is the one that Luis Patino followed McClanahan in. Uh, So he may still be on a shorter leash for a while because the Rays are going to raise. Again, leagues where you're going to be looking for quality starts and stuff like that, McClanahan might be a little ways off from that until they can build him up a bit more. Unless he's super-duper efficient, obviously. Um, Nonetheless, the k upside of McClanahan with that 100-mile-per-hour fastball and that 93-mile-an-hour slider should be pretty excellent. The slider on its own had a CSW of 58% in that start. Uh, I'm not saying that that's going to happen consistently, but that is exceptional. And if he can come anywhere close to touching that on a regular basis, he's going to be dangerous. Uh, And again, he's got that electric fastball that he can pair it with. So he's going to provide some pretty sick ratios, and he's 100% someone that you should be picking up who's only 14% owned right now so go get him
0: yeah so that 101 mile an hour fastball and 93 mile an hour slider i i am not making this comparison i'm just saying DeGrom. that is the ground stuff <laughs> that, is, that, that is lefty to ground stuff uh so in the write-up uh nick mentioned that he very much doubts that mcclanahan can maintain those velos especially like deep into games but as far as this first outing, like that stuff is just—I I said it before—it's obscene, especially from a lefty.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's super, super electric. I'm very excited to see uh, more McClanahan starts again. And like that was another thing that Nick uh, compared this to—is how excited he was last year seeing Sixto Sanchez make his debut. When you have that level of excitement, you know that it's going to be pretty good, especially coming from Nick. Because so we do yeah. respect Nick's opinion here.
0: Sometimes, not Sometimes. not on this not on this next one we're going to talk about though.
1: This next one. Oh yeah, this next one. Nick has a really bad. take. Nick's not always right. Yeah, let's just say that right now. Nick Pollard, just like
0: most of the time, but not this one.
1: You know nothing about Aaron Sanchez. Let's talk about Aaron Sanchez here, Bitchwebs. Uh, We've talked about him a fair amount already. He's our he's he's our very lovely Jorts boy. Uh, he's been doing pretty well so far this year. Talk about him a bit. Yeah, so we've been talking about Aaron
0: Sanchez since his f- tryout. Like, literally, since he tried out and got signed by the Giants. Um, And if you had listened to us then, you've really benefited from, uh, you know, a a string of very, I I don't want to say great pitching, but very competent pitching. I think he's got a, uh, I'm pretty sure he's got a sub-3 ERA at this point. He's got nearly a strikeout per inning. Uh, I'm pulling up more exact numbers so that I don't have to talk in vague roundabouts. So he is sitting at... He's sitting at a 2.22 ERA, 1.07 whip, one win, sadly, but 20 strikeouts. So he's been really, really good to start. Uh, his next couple of starts, I do not want much of a piece of. Or at least, so his next start is at Colorado. And yep. we all know that we do not want to start people in Colorado. Um, I, I have it in my head that maybe he can make it work as a ground ball pitcher, but... Uh, that was pushed back on hard by by Nick, like we were talking about um i'm i'm not I'm not starting him, so that that start is uh that's on Tuesday. I'm not doing that later in the week, however, he gets Texas at home, hundred percent using him in that start. Um, I have a feeling that uh since I'm a very known Nate Lowe hater and Aaron Sanchez doesn't throw that hard that, that Nate Lowe is gonna hit like at least one tank off of Aaron Sanchez. But um, yeah, uh, th- that's more of just like karma biting me. I, I that may happen, may not happen. But I am absolutely running Sanchez out for that Texas start, and I expect goodness there. Nate Low, notwithstanding.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think in my research, I did a little bit on Sanchez again just to see how he was doing so far this year. I think, if I remember correctly, both his sinker and his curveball so far this year have a CSW of over thirty percent. Which is excellent. Obviously, the sinker is not getting a ton of swings and misses. He's getting a ton of called strikes, so he's locating it really, really well and in the right situations, which is great to see. And the curveball is, as we have spoken about previously, when it's on, it's really, really good, and it's been performing well for him so far. Uh, again, he's not touching the velocity that we saw in his tryout, obviously, because like at that point, the adrenaline's really, really pumping. I think he hit like 96 in that, and now he's usually around like eight, like 90ish with his fastball. So the velo is way down, but the results are still there. So Aaron Sanchez at 13% owned in most leagues. We we saw a little Oof. bit of a velo bounce back. A little bit. Did we in this last start? Okay. It, it dipped a lot in like starts two and three, but came back a little bit. Good. Excellent. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and that could be contributed to just conditioning and stuff like that because he hasn't really pitched a full season in a really long time. So he's not used to this workload and going for going this hard for this long. So. Uh, really good to see. Let's move to another person that Nick actually stated that he is coming around on Jacob Junis, Jingleheimer Schmidt. I don't know why I made that joke. Okay. Shout out to all the kids who also watched Barney growing up. And no, I don't mean the one from how I met your mother or the Flintstones, the purple dinosaur, the OG, the real one, of course, the best. I guess, no, I I guess I can't say the OG because the Flintstones came up before Barney, the dinosaur. Anyways, regardless, jacob junis
0: well i mean if you want to go chronologically dinosaurs uh, predated cavemen
1: oh whoa <laughs> oh now we're getting meta i love this this is great okay so okay this could be a whole podcast by itself i don't want to get too off track here but we're going to fl- come back to this at some point
0: the flintstones uh, would have used barney as a coat rack though so who's winning here really
1: oh it it would it would it would be sad if it wasn't so true Okay, it's actually actually both. (laughs) But anyways, back to Jacob Junis instead of dinosaur coat racks. He's scheduled to be a two-star pitcher this week going up against Cleveland and the White Sox. Uh, I'm continuing to trust this new cutter for his first start against Cleveland for sure. I would love to run him out. Again, like Schweb said, they're like the sixth uh, lowest scoring team in the league so far this year. Um. It's also at home in Kaufman, so it's a pretty good pitcher's park. The second start against the White Sox, it's a lot dicier. But I'm also still going to play it by ear and possibly run him out for it. And that fully depends on the back half of the lineup that Tony Larusa chooses to roll out against him. Um if this was any other competent team, I would probably competent team with like the level of batting skill. I would probably just avoid him completely, but I have a small belief that Tony Larissa will make the wrong lineup choices and run out the wrong hitters against Junis. So I'm still going to play that one by ear up until game time and maybe slot him in if I can, obviously in a daily league.
0: Really excited for that. Like Danny Mendick, L- Larry Garcia lineup that they run out.
1: It's going to be so beautiful. Oh no, you forgot Billy Hamilton. He's also Not Billy Hamilton. Under. Of course. Yeah. How could you, how D- could
0: you as, as the DH most likely.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: That's where Billy Hamilton belongs.
1: Because why does Andrew Vaughn need to be in the lineup?
0: Yeah. Who? Tandrew Vaughn. Who? Part, part, part time left fielder for for Tony La Russa.
1: <laughs> oh, God. That's such a. I'm sorry, White Sox fans, that you but, must deal with this lunacy every you, single day.
0: Do you also look at Alex Kirilov batting cleanup and playing every day and wonder what could have been? Because oh, that's my what God. I do.
1: It's incredible so have a oh, Kirilov's been great oh also um wait do we have Kirilov in our dynasty league I don't think so sadly oh, dang it. no that's oh sorry that's my other dynasty league that I'm in I do have him and I actually sat I had him still in my minors even after oh. he got called up and I totally forgot about it so and this he hit is those just, two home
0: runs this is just you flexing on me for us not on, uh, having him in, uh, a, yeah, in our dynasty league. Oh, okay.
1: You know, I I, I got to flex every once in a while.
0: It's like, oh, um, if I let you run things exclusively, then we might have guys like Alex Kirilov. Oh.
1: <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm right. That's all I'm saying. I'm thinking about going solo, actually. Speaking, I'm going to start my own podcast.
0: Speaking <laughs> of being right, we were talking about a possible uh, Aaron Sanchez, Jacob Junis board bet.
1: We were. I think that, um, I mean, I like both of our, I, I mean, you're making me choose between my two favorite boys,
0: I feel like I feel like since the Jorts thing ended and we got into the regular season, that I've de- I've put a harder claim on Aaron Sanchez. I've been talking him up pretty much every week.
1: If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even know who Aaron Sanchez <laughs> is, my dude. If it wasn't, I think for regardless for me what happens Jorts here, Jorts obsession. I think regardless of what happens here, we're gonna do a board basically. Okay, do you want to do it just like full season total, or do you want to do it from the rest of the season from here on out?
0: Uh, I have full season total. Who wants to calculate just the last six months of stats?
1: Five do months want, of stats. Do we want to do just like standard categories? Yeah. Okay. Five standard Roto categories between Jacob Junis and Aaron Sanchez, who comes out on top in a one V one is the board bet. So I am taking the side of Jacob Junis and Schwebzi is taking the side of Aaron Sanchez. Sir, I wish you the best of luck. And you honestly, no matter what happens here, I feel like I've won. I, I can't have, be mad at this have. one. I really can't be mad at this one at all. It's going to be great to, to watch unfold. Uh, one last little note that we wanted to provide. We're actually sticking in Kansas City for this one. Daniel Lynch is getting the call and starting today, the day that you are listening to this. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably going to be a bit too late for you to claim him and get him in your starting lineup. Too bad. So sad. <laughs> um, but is, We don't know a ton about Daniel Lynch yet. Is this someone that you're going to be keeping an eye on tomorrow and to start? So we
0: frequently talk about our favorite genre of baseball player being the big boy hit ball far. Daniel Lynch is the pitching version of that. He is a large man and he throws ball real fast. He does. Uh, I'm a fan of the stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a fan of the stuff. He's a. Uh, we were talking earlier about Shane McClanahan being like yep. the lefty Degrom almost because Shane McClanahan's a lefty, throws wildly hard. Daniel Lynch uh, is another lefty fireballer. Like he he brings he really brings it with his fastball, and he's also got a pretty wide arsenal. He's not strictly the fastball. So you know, especially when it comes to pitching prospects. It's so hard to know what these guys are going to do when they hit the majors, so we can't give too much advice on this. He's a top hundred prospect, pretty much universally. Uh, I I would say probably until they got Asa Lacy, that he was the crown jewel of that pitching uh, development system. Like, and it's not a uh, it's not a barren system because they had uh, Chris Bubik, they had uh, Brady Singer. And so to be like the top pitching prospect amongst those guys is you know you got to be good.
1: Yeah, and then you forgot to mention uh, Jackson Kowar, too. Kowar, yeah, yeah, he's also someone that's probably going to get some action this year. I would think at some point most likely. I didn't actually. Didn't Bubik get called back up?
0: Yes, he's he's going to be. He's back. also going to be back up. Too, I'm not so sure what day, know. but he is he is
1: back up. Yeah. So uh I really hope that this doesn't throw a wrench in my Jacob Junis plans. Obviously that would hurt a lot, but also, I mean, just more cool guys that we can watch pitch. Again, like Schwebsey said, he's got that five pitch arsenal. So he's got a fastball, a slider, or sorry, a forcing fastball, a slider, a curveball, change up, and then a cutter. Uh, and he's got really, really solid command. That's one thing that people note about him is that he does, yes, he throws hard, but he does have pretty good command of all of his pitches, and all of them are graded at fifty or higher for a future grade. So I mean, just really, really, really well-rounded. And he gets Cleveland. We're picking on Cleveland a lot in this episode. I'm sorry, Cleveland fans. But he gets them for his first go-around. That's not a bad lineup to be facing for your first start.
0: Yeah, uh, I will be watching that start. I'm pretty sure that we will be getting a uh, debut breakdown from Mr. Nick Pollock for that one.
1: Oh, he's not going to be practicing self-care that day?
0: yeah no thank thankfully for us he, he <laughs> no that's me we want we want nick to be healthy
1: we want Nick to be well and have a nice work-life balance actually that's a real thing i'm 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 being very rude what's that i'm being very rude online right now i apologize nick um but you're still wrong about both aaron sanchez and jacob junis i'm glad that you're finally coming around on jacob junis uh schwebs i think that's all we got for today right that is, that is all we got Excellent. All right. Wrapping this one up right around just short of an hour. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us this week on In The Deep. We appreciate it again. I didn't say it at the top of the show. Darn it. I forgot to do this. But if you like the show, find us on whatever podcast platforms you can find that allow you to give reviews. Leave us a review. Five stars, obviously. And leave a little note for us to tell us how we did. Uh, and also subscribe while you're there. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, any of your favorite podcast platforms. We will be back again next week with another episode releasing on Monday morning at 6 a.m. per usual. And also, we will be streaming once again on Schwebze's Twitch channel. Again, that's twitch.tv backslash Schwebze. And then you can find us at in the deep PL on Twitter as well as individually at Schwebzi, that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I, and Bunt Singles for me. Schwebzi, send them out. Bye, friends. <laughs>